0: Amen. Amen.
1: Great time of worship tonight. And uh, if you would uh, keep Nicole, our worship leader, in your prayer. she's not feeling well. She's under the weather tonight, and that's why she's not here. So just pray that she uh, gets to feeling better. Exodus chapter 34 tonight. I've entitled this. Chapter in this message, Spiritual Renewal. I want to talk about that for a minute. After all that the people of God have done in their idolatry and in their rebellion and in their disobedience, God is ready for a reset he is ready to renew his covenant with them and to give them another chance. The reason we need to be reminded of that is because we all, at times in our walk with God and in our Christian life, we can be right there. Where we have strayed, where we have failed God, And yet I want us to be encouraged tonight. God, our God, is a God of second chances. Our God is a God of resets, of renewals. Even if you have failed God today, right now is a chance for you and him to start all over again. Wipe the slate clean and let's get going again. We all need to be reminded of that exactly what God is doing here he has delayed the building of the tabernacle because his people aren't ready yet for that he needs to get them spiritually in a better place before the construction of the tabernacle and the beginning of worship at the tabernacle takes place God's delays are always purposeful. You may be going through that in your own life. We're sort of going through that in some ways as a church. Don't be discouraged in those times of delay. God is always at work. And there's always maybe even deeper things he's doing and deeper layers to what he's laying in our life or in other people's lives that maybe we can't even see or perceive we just have to trust him. So you'll notice that the chapter begins with once again, the Lord speaking to Moses. Again, continual communication between God and His servant. That is absolutely a necessity in our lives. We must open ourselves up to that constant communication and communion with our God. We must constantly, as his sheep, be hearing our shepherd's voice and dialed in to him. Are we hearing the Lord speak to us? And the Lord said to Moses, cut out and shape two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets the words of God that were on the first tablets, which you smashed. Now, God's not upset for him smashing the tablets. God doesn't chastise him at all. We know why Moses did that. But God is saying, I got to rewrite them. And God, you'll notice here, is inviting Moses into this Beautiful partnership with him to write these commandments once again on the stones. It is sort of an insightful picture of how God wrote the word of God. He partnered with human beings using their own personalities and yet it's all his word. We don't know exactly how God wrote it. He could have done anything supernaturally. Or Moses could have actually written the words, and yet God is saying, these are my words. We don't know the specifics. But what we do know here is that God was inviting Moses once again to partner with him. God is always wanting to partner with us in our lives, and in our ministries. And I love what God says to Moses in verse 2. He says, be prepared, be ready early in the morning. Let's get up first thing in the morning and get up to Mount Sinai and station yourself for me there on the top of the mountain. Make yourself available to me, Moses, on the top of the mountain. Be ready early in the morning for me. I know not all of us are morning people. But I would encourage all of you, there's nothing better than starting out the day early with God. Nothing like him being that first voice we hear and the the first one we communicate with and commune with in the morning. And even making ourselves available, first thing, God, what do you have for me today? I make myself available to you. I I present myself to you as a living sacrifice. This is the picture that God is painting here as he commands Moses. Verse 3, no one is to come up with you. Do not let anyone be seen anywhere on the mountain, not even in the flocks or the herds may graze in front of that mountain. Again, separation So Moses cut out two tablets of stone like the first. Early in the morning, he went up to Mount Sinai just as the Lord had commanded him. And he took the two tablets of stone in his hand. Now notice what happens. Revelation. Uh, We're going to see more renewal and this is really all about the spiritual renewal that God wants to bring about in his people. And again, I want to just come back to that for a moment. At any time in our lives, God can renew us. In fact, Paul says in 2 Corinthians five seventeen, though the outward man is perishing, the inner man can be renewed day by day. You and I can experience that inner renewal that can only come from God every day of our lives. But I also want us to see that part of this renewal, a big part of this renewal, is that God once again is going to reveal himself to Moses and then to the people through Moses. So notice the amazing condescension of God once again. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him. I love that. What a beautiful picture. God standing there on the mountain with Moses. Was this a pre-Bethlehem appearance of Jesus Christ? It could have been. He literally could have manifested himself as a human being, in human form, to Moses. He could have appeared in some other way, but in One way or another, Moses is saying, God stood with me. Maybe he stood with him spiritually, and just like you and I can sense, we know that God is standing with us. We don't know, again, the specifics, but what we do know is God was standing by his man, and God will stand with us as well. But notice also that every time God reveals himself and meets with his people, or as we're going to see in verse 6, passes by, he is also proclaiming himself. He, he is revealing something about himself. To meet with God is to hear God speak to us in order that he can reveal more of himself or either to remind us of things about him that we already know but that need to be reinforced and reassured. And that's what's true here. I love this picture of the Lord passing by. It is a phrase that is used to speak of, of wind that is blowing or water that is flowing. Think about that. It's like God just sort of flowed by Moses. There are times in our life, like tonight, where we intentionally say, God, I want to meet with you. And we come to the house of God or we turn our TV sets on at home and we sort of tune into God. And he passes by us. And we know his presence and we feel his presence and, and we're changed by his presence. But there's other times where God passes by and he wasn't invited, and we didn't expect it, but it's marvelous. It's like his breath just sort of reinvigorates and re-energizes us, and we just, we just sense God has literally passed by our being, and, and we sense that, or, or we feel like he's just flowed by us in some way. And every time he does that, again, notice... He is wanting to proclaim himself as he passes. He will never pass by us without proclaiming something of himself to us. Because God is very purposeful in his passings, if you will. And notice all the great things that God once again reveals about himself. Because this is where it all starts, folks. This is where spiritual renewal takes place. It is when we are reminded and reassured and dug in and rooted in who our God is. Because even we who know God can in some ways let the things of God and about God and his nature and his character, and all that, we can let those slip from our, from our memory or we're not really applying the truth of God to our lives at certain points or in certain areas, and we need to be reminded of these things in order to be renewed, and that's exactly what God is doing here. And maybe God will use these same things tonight that he has revealed to Moses thousands of years ago to renew you and your heart and mind tonight. So let's look at them for just a moment. First of all, he proclaims himself in verse six twice as the Lord. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. Jehovah, the self existent eternal one. The one who has always been and always will be. The one who has no beginning and no end. The Alpha and the Omega. In a sense, he is reminding Moses from the very beginning, I was before all things, and I will be after all things. And there was nothing before me. I've always been. Again, even in our finite minds, we can only take that so far, and we sort of drop off the cliff because we don't understand something having no beginning. To know that our God has always been and always existed just sort of goes beyond what we can totally grasp. Even though we understand it to a point. And we believe it and we trust it and we know it. And the reason that we need to be reminded of that is to be reminded again that God is transcendent and greater than we could ever imagine, wholly other than anyone or anything in the universe. Nothing can compare to him or no one. And that's where he starts. But then notice what else he reveals about himself I am compassionate. I am full of compassion and mercy. What a God. Again, a God. And by the way, and we're going to see this again, in the word compassion is the word passion. And God's going to even emphasize that later on in his revelation. God is a passionate God, and he has a passion for each of you tonight. And he is full of mercy. Mercy is a God that never gives us what we truly deserve. Grace, as we're going to see, because notice he goes on to say, and I'm a gracious God, full of grace. Grace is when we receive what we don't deserve. Mercy is when we don't receive what we do deserve. And again, we could just meditate on those. And think about how awesome it is to be in a relationship with a God who's full of compassion and mercy and grace. He can be moved. As we learn in the New Testament, we have a high priest who can sympathize and empathize with us in our humanness, in our weakness, in our frailty, in our finiteness. He is a God of compassion. He also reveals himself as a God who is slow to anger, literally long-fused, long-fused, and I'm so grateful for that. If God had a short fuse, probably none of us would be around. God is a very patient, long-suffering, long-fused God. you begin to think about every day how the God who brought every human being into being is blasphemed, disregarded, cursed, I mean, treated terribly, and yet he's so full of mercy and compassion and grace Slow to anger. And notice, abounding in loyal love. He is a loving, kind God and faithful, reliable, dependable, trustworthy, keeping loyal love for thousands, maintaining his passion and his affection for all, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And sin. And I love that word for forgiveness. It literally means to lift up and carry away. God, on the shoulders of his son Jesus Christ, placed all of our sin upon his son, and his son lifted that up and carried it away, never to bring it up anymore. What a God. But he is a just God. For by no means will he leave the guilty unpunished, responding to the transgression of fathers by dealing with children and children's children to the third and fourth generation. So in this renewal, God is once again revealing some of who he is because that's where it all starts, with God. That has to be the focus getting to know our God, and in a sense to re-know our God and be reminded of who he is. And notice then what happens even to Moses, the one who had had an engagement and experience with God and a fellowship and a communion and communication with God unlike any other human being up to this point in history. And yet Moses, as the Lord passes by, notice what happens to Moses. He became liquefied. You say, where do you get that? Well, in verse 8, the words quickly bowed down to the ground in the Hebrew language literally mean Moses became liquefied. It was like his knees just buckled. He could not hold his weight up. Under the revelation of his God, and he just fell to the ground. Are there times in our life where God is speaking to us and revealing himself to us, and we just become liquefied, overwhelmed? We should. It is a very proper, worshipful response to that kind of God. And then it says he worshiped. And says, if I have found favor or grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord go among us. Travel with us to the promised land. Because as we learned last week, Moses said, God, if you won't go with us, then why are we gone? Because remember, God said, I'll go with you, Moses, but not with them. And Moses interceded for those people and said, Lord, in spite of their sin and their rebellion and their idolatry and disobedience, would you please, for your own sake, forgive their sin and restore them and renew them and go with us? That's all Moses cares about is that the presence of God would go with his people and be in their midst because nothing can take the place of God's presence in our life. For we are a stiff-necked people. So pardon or forgive our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance, your heritage, your legacy. Wow, what a heritage, what a legacy. Again, that God would sort of hook his wagon to his people and say, I'm going to connect myself to you and I'm going to bind myself up in you. Wow. A bunch of human beings, the transcendent God of the universe is willing to do that. Amazing. Think about that even on a personal level. God is saying to each of us, I'm willing to be your God and for you to be my person, my people. And I will bind myself to you. And we're going to do all this together. We're going to partner together for the rest of eternity. What an amazing God. And so notice then, beginning in verse 10, God announces outright that he's going to renew the covenant because he's already made this covenant. But now he wants to renew it and reassure his people, I'm with you. So he says, see, I am going to make a covenant before all your people. I will do wonders such as have not been done in all the earth, not in any nation." Whoa, think about that. Think about the miracles, the signs and the wonders that God has already done, and God comes now at this time in Israel's history, even after all their disobedience and idolatry, and says, I'm going to do even greater things. Wow. Do they deserve it? No. But he's going to do it. The miracles would leave no doubt that God was in their midst. In fact, he says that. All the people, verse 10, among whom you live will see the work of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am doing with you. The word fearful literally means just to produce reverence or to stand in awe and wonder of. We should all desire that God does a fearful work in us, around us. We should all, as a church, desire that God do a fearful thing amongst us and in our midst to produce greater reverence and respect for him so that we and others can stand in awe and wonder of our God. But then we move from Renewal and revelation to now God wanting to build responsibility and rhythm into the worship of his people. So you'll notice here, again, sometimes like I do, we're doing a little alliteration here. Renewal, revelation, then responsibility and rhythm. Notice what God says in verse 11. Obey what I'm commanding you this day. The word obey means to keep, to watch, to preserve, to protect. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's a word that literally meant put a hedge about. Is that the way we view our obedience to the commands of the Lord? That we're literally watching over them in order to preserve them, not only for our own sakes, but to pass them on to subsequent generations. That God holds us responsible, as even I shared Sunday, that like the tenant farmers in the parable, that we are caretakers of the promises of God. Notice he says in verse 12, Be careful. When I begin to drive out, verse 11, all these people in the promised land, be careful not to make a covenant with them, not to hook yourself up and partner with them, lest they become a snare to you, a trap for you. This is your responsibility. And then he begins to teach them not only about certain responsibilities, but about the rhythm that he wants them to employ as they live and worship him. And I'm going to use this one phrase that keeps coming up down through the passage. Notice beginning in verse 14. You must not worship any other God. For the Lord, whose name is jealous. By the way, it's the only time in the Bible God calls himself jealous, a jealous God. What does that mean? Because when we think of jealousy, we think of it in a negative context. God is simply saying, I, as God, can have no rival. Worship, praise, honor, and adoration belong to him alone. He is not to share it with anyone else. But then notice verse 18, you must keep the feast of unleavened bread. Verse 22, you must observe or celebrate the feast of weeks, the first fruits of the harvest. Verse 23, your men must appear before the Lord God. Verse 25, you must not offer the blood. Verse 25, you must not remain until the following morning with the Leftovers of the sacrifice. Verse 26, you must bring to the house of God your first fruits of your soil. You must not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Did you see it? All the musts and the must-nots. God is saying, because you are my people, you have a responsibility to me. There are certain things... That are musts and must and must-nots in your life. Boy, do we need to be reminded of that today. Because we live in such a sort of laissez-faire, lackadaisical even Christian world today. We have to get back to starting with our life must be prioritized. And there are certain things that we must and must not do before God as the people of God on a consistent, regular basis. And they are to be non-negotiable. God doesn't say, I'm suggesting this. He's saying, these are the things you must do. There, there is no, you know, wiggle room here. And then once you put those into your life and into your schedule, then you can fill in with other things, but they must come or I must come first. So how do we translate that over to our day and age? Well, there's certain obligations, things of necessity, things that you and I should be doing on a consistent basis and they should be non-negotiables. These are the things that we must do and must not do if we are calling ourselves the people of God. And you'll notice within all of these musts and must-nots that much of it revolves around their worship. Because again, within this responsibility that God wants to build into his people, he also wants to build into them not only a sense of responsibility, but a rhythm. These are the things that we just regularly do as the people of God. And we don't wake up I'm just going to use this as an example. We don't wake up on Sunday morning going, should I go to church today or not? No. That's where I should be as a person of God. If I say I'm I'm a worshiper of God, that God is first place in my life, that he means more to me than anything else, then that should be something that's a non-negotiable. And yet today it's like, well, so many other things take precedence and priority. And if I don't have anything else in my schedule, then I just sort of fit it in. That's what many Christians do with their prayer life, with their time in the Word, with their time with fellowship with other Christians, with their time of worship. It's just sort of like, eh, I'll see what happens. God is saying you've got to develop a rhythm to your life and live rhythmically because that's the way I created you. That's why back in the book of Genesis, as we saw, God said I'm going to create day and night and I'm going to create, you know, six days you work and the seventh day is a Sabbath and, and I want you to have a rhythm to the way you live your life because the way I created your body even physically was so that it would it would." move optimally as you live in rhythm. And when you're out of rhythm, you're going to be out of rhythm spiritually, emotionally, and physically. But if you get into rhythm with God and you develop that rhythm and you maintain that rhythm, then you can begin to make progress and see enhancement in your life and my life spiritually, emotionally, and physically. And God wanted to develop those principles all the way back at the beginning of his word. And then we come to one final R tonight, and that is reflection. Because beginning in verse 29, we have the story, it says, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, when he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. It wasn't something that Moses could sense or feel but his face was literally glowing. In fact, the word shown literally means to send out rays. And you see this word three times in this passage, in verse 29, in verse 30, and in verse 35. You see that word shown, literally to send out rays. A couple of things about that. One, again, I'm going to repeat what I said before our time of worship. One cannot be in the presence of God and be unaffected. There is transformation spiritually, emotionally, and physically when we spend time with God. And we even are going to carry the engagement of our God on our faces. People are going to be able to even see physically that there's something different about us by our countenance, by our joy, by our smile by the very fact that we've been in the presence of God. Our worship leader, Nicole, has told us many times, and it was something I heard from her years ago when she told me personally, we become what we behold, which is why it's important that we behold our God on a regular basis. The more we behold God, the more we become like him. The smelter knows when the material is done, when he sees his reflection in it in the fire. And so notice... When Aaron, verse 30, and all the Israelites saw Moses, the skin of his face shone, they were afraid to approach him. Something different about this guy. He literally carries the expression of being in the presence of God, and there was something uneasy about that for them. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him, and Moses spoke to them. And after this, all the Israelites approached, and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken to him on Mount Sinai. And notice, when Moses finished speaking with them, well, what do we think Moses was sharing with them? What the Lord proclaimed over here in chapter 34, verse 6 and 7 that he is a God who is the Lord, the compassionate, gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in loyal love, faithful, all the... Those are the things that Moses passed on to the Israelites. And when Moses finished speaking with them, he would put a veil on his face. We're going to go to that passage in the New Testament in just a moment. Why did Moses put a veil on his face? Well, because Paul tells us that these the glory that his face was expressing, if you will, was only temporary. It would fade over time. So there's a couple things here. This tells us that Moses is mindful as a leader, that he's accommodating himself to the people. He knows there's only a certain amount at this point in their walk with God, that they can absorb. And right now, they can't absorb seeing their leader have this faith. There's also, I think, a humility in Moses of putting that veil over his face as well. When Moses, verse 34, went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. Then he would come out and tell the Israelites what he had been commanded. Again, He met with God, God passed by, God proclaimed himself, and then Moses shared that with the people of God. When the Israelites would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone, Moses would put the veil on his face again until he went in to speak with the Lord. So in Exodus 34, you have this beautiful chapter of spiritual renewal where in spite of the idolatry, and disobedience and rebellion of God's people, God is saying, a reset is possible with me because I'm a God who's slow to anger and compassionate and full of grace and full of mercy. I'm going to give you another chance. You don't deserve it, but that's who I am. It's a reset. And we all have those opportunities with our God. And thank God we do. And even tonight, Even if you failed God today, you can start over tonight and have a fresh, clean slate with God. As God renews us, he renews us through revelation. He is always wanting to pass by and proclaim who he is, either to get us to know him at first that way or to remind us and reassure us of who we know he is because we need to be reminded of that. And through that revelation comes then our sense of responsibility before our God. And then incorporating that rhythm of worship to our God that we need to all have, the musts and the must-nots. And as you and I, like Moses, spend time with our God, God will be more and more reflected in and through our lives to others. So in closing tonight, you can leave Exodus and go over to the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Because Paul comments on this very passage of Scripture and uses it in in the New Testament to teach us something that will be actually very applicable and encouraging to us in the New Testament age. And I'm going to begin reading... I'm going to go over a few minutes tonight. I'm going to begin reading in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 7. But the verse I really want to then land on is that very last verse of the passage, verse 18. If the ministry, Paul says, 2 Corinthians 3, 7, that produced death, carved in letters on stone, tablets came with glory so that the Israelites could not keep their eyes fixed on the face of Moses because of the glory of his faith, a glory which was made ineffective, how much more glorious will the ministry of the Spirit be? For if there was glory in the ministry that produced condemnation, how much more does the ministry that produces righteousness excel in glory? For indeed, what had been glorious now has no glory because of the tremendous greater glory of what has replaced it. For if what has been made ineffective came with glory, how much more has what remains come in glory? Folks, he's talking about what God has done in us. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we behave with great boldness, And not like Moses, who used to put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from staring at the result of the glory that was made ineffective. But their minds were closed. For to this very day, the same veil remains when they hear the old covenant read. It has not been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. But until this very day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their minds. Ah, but when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed, praise God. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is present, there is freedom. And we all, that means every true believer in Jesus Christ, folks, he's been building to this. And I want us to get this before we leave God's house tonight. He's talking to all of us as Christ's people. He says, we all then don't have to have a veil over our face. And we can literally be, by God's enablement, looking at the glory of the Lord, beholding for ourselves through God's enablement, God's glory as in a mirror. And when you and I spend time with our God and allow God to enable our minds and hearts to engage with him and to perceive and discern his great glory, we then can be transformed. Again, that word means a change that results from being with God into the same image from one degree of glory to another. On and on and on it goes. What does Paul mean by from one level of glory to another? It means that you and I, even as mere human beings, but because we know the Lord and have the spirit of the Lord, you and I can slowly, steadily, and very progressively become more and more like Jesus Christ as we behold His glory. Christ's personal excellence. God can begin to build into our life, as we sung tonight, from the inside out as we behold our God. And how does God do it? He says that very last line. It's from the Lord. And who's the Lord? The Spirit. The Spirit who lives within each and every believer of Jesus Christ. So we have the third person of the Trinity living inside of us, the Lord, the Spirit, who's very capable of doing this work. We have everything we need inside of us to allow this transformation from one level of glory to happen. But we've got to build into our lives that rhythm of beholding the glory of God. And this is exactly from Paul's own lips in Romans 8:29, the whole purpose of salvation. Paul says he predestined us in Romans 8:29 to be conformed to the image of his dear son. That's it. Not for us to live our lives for our own pleasure and for whatever we want to do, but God's purpose in saving us would so that we each could become more and more like Jesus each and every day. And so then we could reflect Jesus to others, so that when others see our lives and see us walking down the street and engaging with us and hearing us talk and speak and, and what we do in our lives and the priorities and values we live by, that we are reflecting Jesus Christ to them. And that's how we witness. That's how we give testimony to God, you see. So here's this chapter Exodus 34 all the way back at the beginning of the Old Testament. Happened thousands of years ago. And yet the elements and the principles that God has built into that chapter through Moses is just as applicable and relevant to us today as it was back then. He's the same God who wants his people to behold his glory and be changed forevermore. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you tonight for being here and meeting with us. God, may we always desire to behold your glory through your spirit that will enable us to do that. God, I'm so thankful that I don't have to be like Moses and put a veil over my face. I can look at you unveiled through your spirit. And Lord, I pray that we will be in connection with your spirit and we will allow your spirit, God, to to not only stir within us a desire to behold your glory, but to become more like your son, Jesus. The people of God saw a difference in Moses' life in his worship, and even on his face. May the people in our life, the people we engage with every day, the people that are around us every day, may they see the difference that Jesus makes in our life as well. May they see the difference in our life, our priorities, our value, our walk, our talk every day. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless. We'll see you all next week.